This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Adam. Welcome back to a post-Super Bowl 58 Adam Schefter podcast. Thank you for joining us today. And as I was getting ready for this podcast, and as I was mulling which guests we wanted to reach out to, I looked up on my TV and actually didn't realize it when I was on the field on Sunday night in the throes of the chaos that was the chief celebration. But lo and behold, there on my television was the man that I covered for 16 years in Colorado, the great John Elway presenting the Vince Lombardi Trophy to the Kansas City Chiefs, a rival that he used to torment back in the day in the Raiders' home stadium, another rival that he used to torment back in the day. And I said, okay, we got to go get John Elway on to talk about what that experience was like. And so today we are going to be joined by the Hall of Fame quarterback, by the man who spent his entire 16-year career with the Denver Broncos before spending another 11 years with the Broncos in various front office positions, eventually becoming the general manager. He's been a part of all three of the Broncos Super Bowl championships. He was a part of the Chiefs Super Bowl championship in Super Bowl 58 this past week. And so today we will be joined by my friend, John Elway. And of course, before we do anything else, we'll be joined by my other friend, Daniel Dopp, the co-host of the Fantasy Focus podcast and the quarterback of the weekly six-pack. Thank you very much, Adam Schefter. First time seeing you since the Super Bowl. And I want to start there. Topic number one for the six-pack. Adam, you got to be there. In Vegas, I did not. So let me live vicariously through you for one more day. You wake up. It's the day of the Super Bowl. What's Vegas like? What's the buzz around the city? What's the feel knowing that there's going to be the final game of the 2023 season played? Well, Daniel, I think going into this game, the storyline of the game was not just whether the Chiefs' dynastic run could continue, but what it was like for Las Vegas, a city that the NFL once spurned to be hosting its first ever Super Bowl game. And we had a early wake-up call, 3.30 a.m. Pacific on Sunday to be picked up at the front door of the Paris Hotel where ESPN was housed this past week at 4.30 a.m. And so you wake up and you're tired. It's Super Bowl Sunday, some adrenaline, you're tired. I walk down into the lobby, and all I can tell you is as I'm leaving for work, people are still out all night having their <laughs> night out. Like, it was like, it didn't matter. There have been so many Super Bowl mornings where you wake up, it's sleepy, the town for the first time is quiet all week long. In Vegas, the party no. just went on and on. <laughs> and we had this chain amongst me and some of my coworkers where one of my coworkers sent a picture of a guy sprawled out, just sprawled out drunk in front of a coffee shop stand, laying there, it was amazing to see this picture and the activity at that point in time. And I happened to walk out with the great Trey Wingo. And I'm like, can you believe we're going to work? And these people are still continuing with their night out. And it reminded me of my very first Super Bowl. And the story I've told here, I think even last week, 
when I got back to my hotel room and the Miami Herald in 1995 already was delivered to my front door and the paper beat me to my own hotel room and I vowed that was the last time that would happen. Well, in this particular case in Vegas, everybody was out all night as I'm going to work at 4.30 a.m., in Las Vegas, and it was an entirely different experience. Oh, wait a minute, Adam. So does that mean that we didn't get any, like, Vegas parties in while we were there? Did you always make sure you were in bed at a respectable time, or did you have any We have any good party stories that we can talk well, about? Well, first of all, I was sick all week, had a cold, uh, had my family okay. in town, and okay. I don't think I went to bed much later than 11 o'clock on any one night. You know how many parties I went to at night, Daniel? How many? Exactly zero. Exactly <laughs> zero. I am a man dedicated <laughs> to my craft and to my That's family. Right. And we never went out in Las Vegas. All those people, I live vicariously through them. But I could tell you, I would never want to be that man that was passed out on the floor of the coffee shop in the morning of Super Bowl 58. Oh, that's so funny. All right, topic number two for the six-pack. How did you watch this football game? Were you able to be in the stands and watch it? Did you watch it at home? And was there anything that stood out to you about this game? Daniel, this was the most surreal, strange, bizarre way to watch a Super Bowl ever. And let me tell you why. Usually I go there and I have my credential. And I figure out who's watching the game where. Usually some ESPN colleagues are watching from the stands. Maybe someone on a team that they invite me into. Whatever it may be, you never really know. But in this particular case, my daughter Dylan was working for Nickelodeon. And she, in this particular case, was in a Nickelodeon booth set up on the first level behind the end zone that was painted 49ers behind those goalposts but they had curtains behind the booth so you'd have to be in the booth no idea what's going on while they're broadcasting the game to bikini bottom and nickelodeon so i'm there in the booth with spongebob and patrick star doing the narration of the game with the game on nickelodeon and there's a curtain behind me and i can't see anything now my daughter's got a little perch right outside that's open but it's a tiny little perch the size of a minuscule closet so there were a few times when i would walk out there and stand on the perch in the end zone looking out at the field but by and large i'm in that booth watching no eagle who as i told him if i could buy stock in any young broadcaster in the world it would be no eagle that was great yeah Nate Burleson, who I have an unbelievable story about in a moment, SpongeBob, the voice of SpongeBob, and Patrick Starr, who I got to meet with the game on there. So, again, there were injuries. We never saw on Nickelodeon that Dre Greenlow went down with a ruptured Achilles. I never saw that on the Nickelodeon broadcast, but I know that that actually happened. So yeah. I'm watching in that game, listening to SpongeBob, you know, weigh in with his analysis of the game. And it was just an incredibly unique, different perspective i love to watch football consume football and i like to listen to what the announcers say this was a totally different experience but one of the coolest things that i saw and it was really fascinating to see was all of a sudden right before the game nate burleson comes sprinting up surrounded by security changes out of his shirt puts on a nickelodeon like outfit gets into the booth and starts calling because he was doing the pregame show on the field and then doing the game on nickelodeon so at halftime, I walked out to the perch to watch Usher with my daughter just to see how she would take in her first Super Bowl show. Naturally. And then at the end of the show, I walked back in to assume my seat to get ready to watch the third quarter. And there, just like there was a topless Usher, 
there's a topless Nate Burleson because he had to change back into his CBS outfit to change back into his Nickelodeon outfit. No way. After running down to the field, after <laughs> running back up to get back into position. So he did the halftime show for CBS and then went on with the game on Nickelodeon uninterrupted. Nobody would have any idea that he was just running back down to the field and then running back up to change. And I said to him, I got to say, I've seen some incredible Super Bowl performances. This, my friend, is up there. The fact that you could do two shows on two networks in two outfits, running, huffing and puffing, getting through the crowds with security to go on. And I don't think people realized it. It was unbelievable to watch in person to see how the great Nate Burleson did all that that night. That's really fun, actually. That's that's a great Super Bowl story because it gives you a little bit of behind the scenes of how things work for people there. And shout out to Nate because that dude is just awesome. I love Nate Burleson. Yeah, great. All right, topic number three. Adam Schefter, Patrick Mahomes, now has won a Super Bowl in 2020, 2023, and 2024. What yeah. are we looking at for this kid? I mean, are we at the point where we're starting to put him in the same conversation as some of the greats? Well, he absolutely is in the conversation with the greats. I mean, that goes without saying with three Super Bowl victories, he's already up there tied with some of the greats. But what was interesting to me this week, Daniel, was that people were saying already he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And I'm sorry, I'm not ready to go there just yet. Where I'm ready to go right now is he already is amongst the greats of all time. And I also would say that he's a killer that he might be as clutch as any quarterback I've ever seen. Now, I watched John Elway, and we'll talk to John Elway about this, and I watched another guy that was incredibly clutch, as clutch as I ever saw, Roger Stallback, the Cowboys quarterback who is incredible when the game is online. And I think Mahomes is the same way. When the 49ers score a field goal in overtime, in my mind, the game is over. You know it's over. You know this guy's going to score. There's not a shadow of a doubt that this guy is going to get it done. And that ultimately is what happened. The guy is clutch. He is already amongst the greats. He is the fifth quarterback with at least three Super Bowl titles, joining Tom Brady, who's got seven, as well as Terry Bradshaw, who has four, Joe Montana, four, and Troy Aikman, three. To say he's better than those guys right now, that to me, I'm not ready but he's 28. He's going to play another decade or so. Let's wait till he wins more Super Bowls, which I would imagine he will, and then we can place him in his rightful place. He's already in the conversation right now with Montana and Elway and Aikman and some of the greats who have played the game. But to say he's the best right now, that to me seems like such a hot, fresh, live-in-the-moment take that doesn't feel right. It's not ready yet it's not matured yet we're not ready to go there just yet in my mind despite the fact that the guy is incredible and he helped lead the chiefs and make them the first team to repeat as super bowl champions since the 2003-2004 new england patriots and the chiefs recorded the seventh comeback of 10 or more points in a super bowl that's a bunch i mean when you look at that adam it's not just that it's the idea that you know patrick mahomes says as taking them to three Super Bowls in a five-year stretch, which is really difficult to do. But I think I'm with you on this one. I don't know that I can place him above a guy named Tom Brady who still has seven Super Bowls. Not yet. Not Not yet. yet. Not yet, guys. But he's tracking. Yes, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right, topic number four, Adam Schefter. Let's talk about Kyle Shanahan. Other side of that game, obviously very difficult. This is the second time. 
been in the Super Bowl, not able to bring home the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah. Does Kyle Shanahan still have a chance to turn things around the same way that you look at these coaches like Andy Reid and the success that he's had? There's still chance for him to be that, right? And, and let me say this right now, okay? There was a while, there was a while when Andy Reid was ripped on and people said he couldn't win the big game. You realize Andy Reid lost four NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl before this run? Do you realize that Andy Reid didn't win his first Super Bowl until he was 61 years old and he got Patrick Mahomes? And Andy Reid is one of the great coaches of all time. Absolutely. I'm not questioning any of that. All I'm saying is let's remember again time, the period of time. Let's not get lost in the moment as people do where they're burying Kyle Shanahan right now. Do you want to question his decision to take the ball first in overtime? We could debate whether that's the right or wrong decision. I think you have to feel out the game and the moment. And I don't know whether he did the right or wrong thing. That's what he chose. And he chose it because he wanted the ball back again if the Chiefs scored for the first possession, which makes sense. That's logical. And then people can criticize him for not preparing the 49ers more about overtime rules. I got it. That's fine. A fair, valid criticism. But to say that this guy just can't get over the hump, can't get it done, yes, his Super Bowl history so far is disappointing. Everybody can agree on that. And the Niners had their chances in this game to put away a guy, to go back to the previous point, who many are proclaiming the greatest quarterback in history already. And they came close to doing it, just as the Eagles did last year, but they failed and they didn't get it done. But let's give Kyle some time to grow and learn and improve. He still might be the single best play caller in the National Football League. His teams have overachieved and won every single year. And let's remember that Andy Reid was once criticized in a way that Kyle Shanahan is now, even more so when he lost the four title games, championship, conference championship games, and a Super Bowl before he made this type of historic run with the help of the great Patrick Mahomes to where now we say Andy Reid is regarded universally as one of the great NFL coaches of all time. Kyle has time to get to an all-time level. He's not done yet. And again, I think some of the criticism is a bit unwarranted and unfair right now. Let's see, as like we talk about with Mahomes, how it plays out over time before we make any final judgments. Well, speaking of time, Adam Schefter, topic number five, talk to me about the overtime rules in the playoffs and how the clock works. Well, you know, what was amazing about that is, again, Kyle didn't brief his players about it. Many players didn't know it was happening. I'm going to tell you something funny. When these new overtime rules were passed as a byproduct of the Chiefs-Bills 13-second game, the NFL sent out a chart, an NFL new playoff format overtime rule chart that I have been saving in my phone for the first time that there have been a playoff game with the new rules. And so I am there in the SpongeBob Nickelodeon tent area waiting to see if the game is tied up. And as soon as Harrison Bucker tied it up to send it into overtime, I had the box that I've been holding for two years waiting to put out. And I put it out there and I noticed that a lot of people were commenting, boy, that was quick. Schefter knew the script. He had the script all along to put out for the overtime rules, but that wasn't it. I had that box in reserve for two years. I put it out and people didn't realize, and they were wondering and asking and questioning. 
as the Chiefs had the ball late in the end of the first overtime. Would there be a second overtime? Are they trying to beat the clock? Not everybody realized the rules. Clock at that point doesn't matter. And I was asked on the Pat McAfee show on Monday, well, why do they even need a clock? And we had the answer to that too, Daniel. Because if and when they're playing a playoff game in a place like Buffalo or Kansas City, and it's freezing cold and wind is a factor, you can't have one team have the wind the entire time. That's why you change positions after the first 15-minute overtime, if it ever got to that point, which this one didn't. It was an indoor game. Yes, the clock really didn't matter in an indoor game. And when it's an indoor playoff game, you could basically say the clock is irrelevant. But it might matter where weather is a factor in the future, which is why there is a running clock for these spots as the public begins to acclimate to the new NFL overtime playoff rules that were implemented at the start of the 2023 season that carried into this season before we finally saw a game play out in that manner. What a major shift in the game, understanding those different rules. And good for you having that tweet already queued up for two years. That's a long time to hold on to a tweet to have it be in your drafts folder, Adam. So that's a good one. Well, I went in I went in Sunday night, late in the game. I'm like, I got to find the chart. I got to find the I chart. I got to find it, yeah. Found it like late in the game, and I just had it ready, and bam. As soon as the game went overtime, as soon as Bucker made the kick, we posted. Good to go. Hey, there's a guy that's also, we should just mention, Harrison Butker. What an unbelievable kicker. Unbelievable what he's done in the Super Bowl. All right. Topic number six, Adam Schefter. You used to cover the AFC West. You covered it for a really long time as a part of covering the Denver Broncos. The Chiefs were not always this team. But like we just said, the Chiefs have won three Super Bowls in the last five years. What have you seen over the, the lifetime of you covering the AFC West and being here within the media of the Chiefs from where you started to where they're at now with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? They once were one of the most snake-bit football teams in the National Football League. And I think people forget this. I was in that building in Arrowhead Stadium. The Rocky Mountain News and Denver Post used to send out a writer to cover the games because it was in the division every time they made the playoffs. And there were two or three years where they had the first seed in the AFC and they lost at home every single time. Didn't make it past the first round. I remember them losing to Jim Harbaugh and the Colts. I remember them losing to John Elway and the Broncos. I remember them losing in every key big postseason spot, never realizing their potential. And many times their coach was the great Marty Schottenheimer, who, again, got much of the criticism that's now directed at Kyle Shanahan. That's how this league works. But this was a team that never could win, never when it mattered. And sometimes it's as simple as getting a player as dominant as Patrick Mahomes. And I remember back in those days, one of the reasons they couldn't win was because they had to go against John Elway and the Denver Broncos. And when a team has got a quarterback like Elway or yep. Mahomes, it changes everything. And all of a sudden, they become snake bit, not because they are snake bit, but because they run into a transcendent athletic talent like a John Elway, like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Michael Jordan, who denies teams of championships and great players their place on the victory stand. Like, think about how many great players Michael Jordan denied the chance to get a trophy and a ring. And Mahomes has now done the same thing. He denied Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. 
He denied Brock Purdy and the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. He keeps denying these people. They won't be the first ones he does that to. They won't be the last. He'll continue to deny people because he's one of the GOATs. And it is a total turnaround from the way that I used to think and others used to think of the Kansas City Chiefs as a team that would make it to the first round and then go sayonara. And that was another reason why I wanted to reach out to the man that presented the Vince Lombardi Trophy to the Kansas City Chiefs this week, a man that I used to cover back in the day, a man, and this is unbelievable, Daniel, back in 1987 when I was studying one summer abroad and I was coming home from Israel and I had a free layover. I could stop off in any city. I picked London and me and a friend of mine stopped there. We got out in London and we're walking around the city streets And I randomly happened to bump into, in August of 1987, a guy at that time who was an athletic legend, an athletic freak, John Elway. We took a picture together on the streets of London. I'm like, John Elway? In London? In London. I'm like, John Elway, this is 1987. So 37 years ago, I met John Elway for the very first time. I still have that picture. I've showed it to him. I'm wearing a yellow sweater. He's wearing a red jacket. I showed it to him back in Denver at the time. He was like, yeah, I showed it to him a little while later after we spent a number of times together, a number of years together, and he obviously got a bigger kick out of it. But here's a man I've known in one form or fashion for 37 years, met him for the first time in 87, began covering him in 1990, got to watch his career with tremendous pride. He was always such a great professional, such a great player. And again, he was the man that presented the trophy. We shot him a text. Need you on the podcast, John. And so he said, you got it. What time? And here we are, Daniel, John Elway. Hello there, John. I could not get it up. Yeah, my phone wouldn't let me take the mute off or the or display the uh, video. You, you know what happens? When, when I go to sign on sometimes and I can't do it or I'm having problems, honestly, there are a few things in my life more stressful than that. Like yeah. it, fr- <laughs> it freaks me. I, I get overwhelmed like because I'm helpless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not very good, and I'm th- I'm thankful that Jack is there. By the way, Jack is now 34. Okay, that's that's amazing. And I've shown you this picture before. You probably won't remember, but the very first time that I ever met you was in London, 37 years ago, 1986 or 80. Was it 86? 87. Oh, wow. Look, see, that's the picture. Look at that. That's the picture. I was walking down the street. I was there with a girlfriend of mine, and uh-huh. I'm like, oh my God, there's John Elway. I'm in Michigan at the time. You got to take a picture. So I stop you on the street. You're like, uh, you know, another person just badgering me for a picture. And there's the picture, which is older than your son Jack by three years. Uh yeah. Yeah. It was funny. We're we're up here and we're, we're sitting there watching Roku last night. And they had uh um Tim Allen's home improvement. So they had all the episodes when they'd never seen a Jack and Matt had never seen it. So we actually went back and watched it last night. And I he says, How old are you? I said, I was your age, 34, when I did that. There are little reminders like that that really remind you about how old we've both gotten, I guess, oh, right? I know. Well, right? I refuse to think that. I know on the outside that looks like it's got me, but it hadn't got me on the inside yet. You look good, John. And here's the thing. As I texted you yesterday, I'm watching the ceremony. I see you on the stage with the Chiefs, walking out with the trophy. 
giving it to the hated Kansas City Chiefs in the home of the Las Vegas Raiders. And I said, I have to know what John thought of that. Like, what's going through your mind when you're high-fiving all the Chiefs in the Raiders' home stadium? Well, I didn't think about being in the Raiders' home field, but <clears throat> he knew I was giving it to the Chiefs. And I was really hoping for, obviously, good friends with Johnny Lynch and Kyle Shanahan really – you know, was rooting for him, but it was, you know, it was a tremendous game and the Chiefs played great, especially that second half came back. And um, I'd much rather given it to the 49ers, but, uh, you know, the Chiefs played great and played well enough to win that football game. The homes came through for him. And so it was good to see him up there. I think he's going to be one of the greatest greats of all time. We're going to get to him in a moment, but what's going through your mind as you're high-fiving these players as you're walking out into the field? You know, it was fun to be down there. It's been a long time since I'd been back down on the field, especially at a Super Bowl. So it was really kind of fun. I get the, I got pushed back about four or five times. They said I couldn't be on the sidelines, but uh, or too close to the field. But uh, you know, it was great being down there and re you know reminiscing about the feelings of what that game was all about and how much it means to everybody. And you know, to be in a football game like that, I'll never forget going into Super Bowl Thirty Two, and I, you know, was just asking, you know what, just because we've been blown out the three previous was. You know, can you just please, God, let us be in the football game with, in the fourth quarter? And uh, sure enough, with five minutes to go, the score was tied, and we were able to move it down and score the, the go-ahead touchdown. But uh, reminiscing down there and being down there was was really it was it was a great feeling. They said it was the twenty-fifth anniversary. I I know it was ninety-eight that you won it, ninety-seven season. So would that be yeah. the ninety-nine? It was the ninety-eight season, ninety-nine Super Bowl. Oh, 98. Yeah, 98 season, 99 Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, it was the 25th anniversary of one of your two Super Bowls. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Do, 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 you know, it was funny because during the game, Rick Smith was texting me, the former Broncos assistant defensive backs coach who went on to become the general manager of the Texans. And as that game was winding down, he said to me, he said, very similar to our win over Green Bay, similar score this time in the game. Playing with the champs while they're trying to repeat first time father son win. It's going to happen. History is being made right now. I'm marking the time I sent this, and he sent it when it was 16 16 with 429 left in the fourth quarter. And he felt like it reminded him of when you were tied with Green Bay. Did you think at all back to when you beat the Packers as you were on the sideline there, John? You know, it was, uh, <clears throat> I actually did not. I didn't tie that, uh, the game into the 90s. Super Bowl 32, but I think it was different situations, but obviously Niners scoring late and then Kansas City coming down, you know, moving it down to tie it up, go with them to overtime. But, you know, we were five, you know, we got it with five minutes to go. I think we scored with two minutes to go, you know, and then we end up uh, knocking down the fourth. John Mobley knocks down the fourth down pass yeah. of Brett Favre, uh, which, which sealed it for us. But, uh, yeah, in a sense, you know, those games, the game was so close. It was such a – well-played game, obviously a lot of mistakes. Third quarter-wise, it was kind of had its ups and downs. But uh, two really, really good football teams and two coached by really, really two great coaches. You bring up Mahomes. What impresses you most about him? Uh, there's nothing that doesn't impress me. I will be, be dead honest with you. I think the one thing I really like about Patrick is he's got all the physical tools, but he's not afraid of anything. He makes great decisions. He's a great athlete, can move around, make the plays. And, uh, you know, just his mentality. He's a winner and a competitor. I think he would compete more than anybody else. And I think probably his greatest asset, Adam, is Andy Reid. I tell you what, he's done a hell of a job putting him in the right situations, doing what Patrick does best. 
and get him in those situations and build that offense around around Patrick. And I think they're a great combination. Then you got a tight end like Kelsey that they've got a great, obviously a great relationship that, uh, you know, he's very difficult to cover. And, and uh, so, you know, they've got everything going, but it's really a tribute to Patrick, but also really with Andy Reid and what he's done in the development of Patrick has been tremendous. How much personal interaction have you had with Patrick Mahomes? You know, I, I gave him a hug up there and told him congratulations on the stage and had a chance. Actually, there's that Tahoe tournament every year. And so I went back this year and got a chance to spend some time with him. And he played right in front of us. And um, and so got to talk to him a little bit. There were some backups on different holes. So I got a chance to talk to him. And, you know, he's a great kid. And, and uh, you know, he's just going to continue to get better and better. I mean, what he's done already before he's 30 years old is unbelievable. And I'm sure that uh, that's not going to end anytime soon. You know what it reminds me of? When you played for the Broncos, the teams in the division, Kansas City, San Diego, and the Oakland Raiders at the time, they hated going up against the Broncos, and you were a thorn in their side for 16 <laughs> years. And they always complained about the fact that they were going to struggle to win, the Broncos had an advantage, and that they had you. And it just, you knew that life in that division was going to be miserable, and you were going to be the favorite every year. To me, that's exactly what this has become now. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is 2024 John Elway, where the Chiefs are going to be at a huge advantage every year, no matter if the Chargers have Justin Herbert and the Broncos have Sean Payton and whoever else, and the Raiders have who they've got the difference maker, just like the Broncos had the difference maker. They, yeah, they really do. You know, and I think, uh, you know, it really comes down to how long Andy's going to stay around. I think that, uh, you know, he's done a hell of a job. I don't, you know, I think they'll find someone that fits Andy's mold. That'll keep Patrick in, uh, you know, the same type of offense that he's running now. But I think you're right. You know, he's a guy that's a difference maker, you know, and they can be having a bad day, you know, they struggle offensively, especially the first half, but played great defense, kept him in the game, kept him in the game, kept him in the, in the game. And I remember talking to my buddy, Jeff Spurbeck. And I said, this is scary because the Niners need to put, they need some separation here because they can turn it on at any point in time. And, you know, when they weren't able to take advantage and, you know, get ahead by 10 points or even get a score to get them, get them up 17, six, as long as that game was close, it was scary for the Niners. And it's the exact same thing with you back when you played, if the team hadn't put you away, you were going to come back and make them pay for that later on. And Patrick does, the same exact thing. Now, you bring up Andy Reid. Do you see any connection, correlation between the way that he has helped elevate Patrick's game and the way that Mike Shanahan helped elevate your game? Because people talked all the time, oh, John needs Mike or Mike needs John more. And we always hear that thing. We haven't heard much of that with Andy and Patrick. But do you think that Andy has been key to elevating Patrick's play here? With, I mean, without a doubt, Adam, I think that, uh, you know, you look at this, you look at the league today and excuse me that, uh, you know, it comes down to, cause these, these quarterbacks go high, they get thrown in tough situations with organizations that haven't won, you know, and I've always said that they're, you know, when they come out of college and when they're in college, they're still amateurs, even though not anymore, it used to be, but now they're pros coming out of college because the amount of uh, the NIL money. So, but back in the day, it was like, you come out, you're still an amateur. Then you get to the NFL. Now the expectations, once they start paying you, grow exponentially and so and then they get on bad football teams and they've never taken a lot of criticism they've never been beat up in the press because they've always been they were great in high school and they're great in college you get the nfl and all of a sudden 
You know, you start taking that criticism. They're coming down because they everybody expects immediate results, which is always very difficult for a young quarterback. And that's why I think, you know, you look back at how Andy handled Patrick. You know, he did not start his first year. I think his first start was against us the last. It was. The last game, last of, the game of the season. Yep. Yeah, and that was his first start. But had him sit back, and it's a lot like the Packers have done too. But I think, you know, giving him that chance to see everything mature, um, he's, you know, I think Andy's handled him perfectly and knew what he was doing there, understood the offense, what Patrick could do. And so I think that's just such a great combination. And that's really what I had with Mike too. I think that anytime a young quarterback can have a confidant like that and a, and a coach that you really get along with, that you know has got your best interest at heart and is going to try to get you in the best situations that he can. You know, that's what I have with Mike. And there's no question Andy and Patrick have that too. And you can just watch it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you do if you had an extra hour in your day? You know what I would do? I think I'd call BetterHelp. Get a little help, a little mental therapy for all the stress that we all go through on a regular basis. That is excellent time and an excellent way to spend your free hour that has been freed up. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it in the future. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. We all go through things on a daily basis. Why not let the professionals at BetterHelp help you with whatever issue you're now encountering? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. And you spent 11 years in the Broncos front office at the end, the general manager. So when they have Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback in Kansas City, 
What is that like for you as an opposing GM, knowing that you have to go up against that guy twice a year in your own division? Yeah, I know that that was tough. We kept trying to find one after after Peyton. We you know kept trying to find one, and <clears throat> they're hard to find. But the, you know the Chiefs saw saw what they had with what Patrick had made a move, and I think they moved up a couple slots to go get Patrick. But you know it's obviously a great move from the personnel department, and and uh, you know what Andy saw. You know, and I think you know you look at Andy's history, and I saw some numbers with him against Bill Belichick, and you know it's, he's kind of been under the radar. And I think that, uh, you know, he's no longer under the radar. If you look at the amount of wins he's had, you know, he's done it with two football. You know, he did it in Philly. He's done it in Kansas City. You know, obviously, even though he didn't win one in Kansas or in Philly, you know, they went to four straight NFC championship games, which is very difficult to do. So I just think that uh, we're, we're starting to see the greatness of Andy Reid. Well, you know, it's interesting. And I said this earlier in the podcast, people are criticizing Kyle Shanahan right now and people forget that Andy Reid did lose four conference championship games and a Super Bowl before he won his first ever Super Bowl at the age of 61. Kyle, I think, is 42 years old. And sometimes it just takes time for these things to happen. It, do, it does. And, you know, the thing is, Kyle's been there three times, right? Been there twice as a head coach, I think. And then once Correct. Atlanta. So he's been there. He understands it. Kyle Shannon is going to win. A world, he's going to win a world championship at some point in time. As you know, Adam, and I know, <clears throat> anytime you lose the Super Bowl, they're going to nitpick and everything's going to come out of the woodworks of what you can't do, what you didn't do, and what you should have done. And until he finally gets over that hump, which eventually he will. But uh, yeah, losing that Super Bowl brings out all the all the critics. And when you lose like that, does it make you appreciate it that much more when you do finally break through? It really does. I think it does. You know, I always say that, Joe Montana didn't appreciate his Super Bowl wins nearly as much as I did because he never lost one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that helps. Right. 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 But uh, yeah, there's no question. I think after those first three, when we can't, you know, we got blown out and then, uh, you know, waited the eight years and then finally got over the hump with, uh, with the Packers. Yeah. I mean, the feeling of relief and feeling that we finally got there and that all the work that uh, we'd done for so long was all worth it. And so, you know, it's, there's nothing better as a football player, there's nothing better than that feeling of winning a world championship with 52 other guys and putting it all together in a long season and being able to put that together and say, you're the best, you know, you're the best football team in the NFL that year. You mentioned Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Did you have a chance to talk to them after the game at all? And if you didn't, what would you say to them about a loss like that? You know, I'm not sure. I got a chance to see Linda Lynch after the game. I just gave her a big hug. You know, and she said, I just need a hug. I said, I get it, you know, because there's words do not there's no words or anything that can really replace the feeling of or, or substitute the feeling of that loss. And it just, you know, those are things that just take time, you know, and the thing is, it, every player will run through their minds, you know, for the next month, two months, you know, and so. And plus, they got to jump right back into a free agency opens in, in a month. Right. That's the biggest thing is. You know, you don't get that joy. You have that depression that sets in after you lose it. And the next thing you know, here comes free agency and here comes the draft. And you're jumping right back into it, which hey, the, in, probably in the long run gets you started on the next season and gets you out of that loss. I know, but they're going to be in Indianapolis for the combine in two weeks, John. Oh, yeah. Two yeah. weeks. It's That's just, what's... it's a very quick turnaround. And yeah. I want to bring you back to that and bring your connections as the Broncos GM and Mahomes again. But in the draft of 2017, I believe it was, do you remember your evaluation of Mahomes before the draft at all? Yeah, we really liked him. You know, we like, you know, he was, 
Texas Tech threw the ball all you know all over the lot. And I think that the thing that what I remember the thing that stood out about him again was his athletic ability, but also he was a gunslinger and he wasn't afraid of anything. And I think that that's when you have a guy that's not afraid to fail and he makes really good decisions. I think the and has great athletic ability. You see a Patrick Mahomes, and that's he's got all those tools as as we've talked about that. You know, he gets in those big games and he plays good in those big games. Now it helps a lot to have that experience um, in that game because it is, it's such a different game. There's a timeout. Every time there's a stoppage, there's a four minute timeout. And so, you know, pregame's off, halftime's off, everything's, you know, off. But, uh, you know, that, ex- that experience helps a lot. But I think that, you know, he plays his best in big games. You know, they struggled during the season. They had their ups and downs during the season being defending champs. But when I, when, you know, when it came down to it and they got in the playoffs, they played their best football. You were there at Super Bowl 58 this past week. Did any part of you think Super Bowl 58, number 58 in Kansas City, Derek Thomas? Because when you played, I don't think there was a player that tormented you more than the Chiefs pass rusher. And I remember saying this to you in the past. There were times where I would be in the press box and I would see Derek Thomas coming around the corner, sometimes against an overmatch offensive lineman before you guys traded for Gary Zerman. And I would like close my eyes knowing that John is about to get completely <laughs> obliterated by Derek Thomas. Uh, yeah, that was always, you know, and that was back and they had turf back then too. And as you know, Derek was so fast and, you know, we didn't, we didn't handle the no, the noise nearly as well back then as you know, they do now. Cause it's, it's, it's everywhere they go. They use the silent count, even at home sometimes. So we were just starting to get into that. And I remember the NFL to put in a rule that, I didn't have to snap the ball if I, if we couldn't hear. And I remember standing there for about 10 minutes in Arrowhead and the whole stadium coming down and it did not, they finally just said, Hey, we got to go. We're not going to get this game complete. So, but uh, you know, with Derek and the noise and the way that he used the noise, his athletic ability. Yeah, it was, I felt like I wore him a lot when we played in Kansas city. I, I think of all the games of yours that I got to attend, which was louder Arrowhead stadium or the kingdom in Seattle? I still think it was the kingdom. I think that really? reverberated, but you know, they were both, you know, you couldn't hear yourself thinking either place, but I think the kingdom and that's kind of where the 12th man started was up in, up in Washington. I played there in Husky stadium at, when I was at Stanford and it was, they had it going back then. And so, you know, they, to me, and they could scream the whole game and it did not bother them at all. And so it was amazing how loud and plus, the kingdom was all cement, so it just kept bouncing, bouncing off and echoing, and so, and uh, so, yeah, I, you know, it's they're both very, very loud, very difficult to deal with. But uh, if I had to say one or the other, I would say the kingdom was a little bit louder. Am I missing any? Those are the two that instantly came to mind. Am I missing one that was louder than those two places? Ah, uh, I don't think so. I think you know that's because where we played the most, right? We played them twice a year, every yeah. year, once in Kansas City and in Seattle because Seattle was in the AFC West back then, so. Yeah, those were the ones that I remember. There were a lot of loud stadiums, but uh, nothing like those two. It was a pleasure and honor to be on a journey with you to all those stadiums, and you certainly paid the physical price for it a lot more than I did back (laughs) in that that day. And so before I let you go, what is John Elway doing these days for all the people out there wondering about you, John? You know, I've got plenty of business. I'm still in the car business, have a couple of restaurants, and so playing a lot of golf. The body's getting a little bit older, so for me, I can't get sedentary. i got to be moving around, so... 
golf's always on the agenda. If I can play golf, to stay outside, move around and get down to Palm Springs a little bit. And so looking at different things, I've got a wine company selling some wine. And so that's doing very well with Jeff Spurbeck, seven sellers. And so excited about that. So there's, you know, the good thing is, Adam, now I can, I can get in as deep as I want to get in and work as hard as I want to work. And then if I want to go play, I can go do that. And I have the time to do some of the things that I've never been able to do. So it's, John always in good shape. Got nine grandkids with the 10th on the way. Oh my God. And, and oh so, my God. And as we talked about, Jack hadn't started yet. So we'll see when he, him and Maddie's get going, but uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's great being a grandparent. You don't, you get to spoil them. You don't have to discipline them. If they start crying, you give them back to mom. So it's a pretty good life. <laughs> nine grandkids going on 10. That is yeah. amazing to me. I, that's what I keep saying. I can't, I keep hitting myself in the head too. It's uh, it's hard to believe, but very proud of my kids and they're all great kids and they're great parents. And so it's, uh, and they've all got great mates. And so it's really, it's really good to see them flourish. And when you look back on all this, you look back at the nine grandkids and almost 10 and the four kids that you got and the football career that you've had and the businesses that you've built, the wine business, the restaurant business. Do you feel a sense of satisfaction, pride in all of this? Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, looking back and, you know, being down on that field for the Super Bowl, you know, like I said, reminiscing. And it was like, I, Adam, I'll tell you this. I feel so fortunate that to be able to have the life that I've had. And I always say this, if, if there is reincarnation, there is zero chance I'm going to come back with the same life I had this time. So I'm going to try to get everything out of this life that I possibly can. Well, John, I am happy and honored to have gotten to know you during this life, 37 years, but really I moved to Denver in 1990, got to cover you for the remainder of your career. It's always been an honor to know you, and I appreciate you making the time today when I reached out that John Elway holds a warm spot in my heart now and for always. Well, Adam, I tell you what, I appreciate our relationship over those years too. You were very fair with me all the time, and that's the key thing. You look at people that are fair. Because you're not always going to be great, but when you are bad, they can say you're bad. And so I appreciate, uh, you know, your honesty with all those type things and, and your fairness with all that. So and the relationship we've had and, you know, look at your career and where you've come and starting at the Rocky Mountain News and ended up where you are now with ESPN. And I see the senior, what is it, the senior went below your name now. Well, well by the way, if, if you're going to have nine grandkids, I could be the senior NFL insider. You know, Bob, Bob right Ferguson there. and Harold Richardson used to call me Cubby. They still call me Cubby as Cub Reporter, right? So now I've turned from Cubby into senior insider. You know, you've gone from the wonder kid to the grandparent of soon to be 10 grand. And this is how life evolves exactly. over time. And, you know, you talk about the issues of fairness. I just want to leave the people to this one story. We'll see if you remember this. You always were fascinated by newspapers. When we were being training camp, you'd be reading the newspaper at the breakfast table in Greeley, and you always were curious about how the news business worked. And there was a Friday, one time on a Friday, it was just so random, you came to me, you said, now, do you write the headlines? And I said, no, I, I don't write the headlines. I write everything beneath that, but not the headlines. A copy editor writes the headlines. And that Sunday, you were playing the Chargers, and you beat the Chargers, and I pick up my newspaper on Monday morning and there's a headline with my byline that says Elway explains his new nipple ring. And <laughs> there was a story about how the fact that you lost a bet to somebody and got your nipple pierced and we're bragging about it in the locker room. And so I go out to the Dove Valley, the Broncos training complex that Monday morning, 7 a.m. I'm waiting in the back by the parking lot. You could still see it right now. You're coming up. I see you. I start walking to you. You start walking to me. You're like, where the hell did you get that from? 
I'm like, I didn't write it. You said, you said you write everything but the headline. I'm like, I know. And there was a whole big investigation to figure out how somebody cracked into the Denver Post system. The Columbia Journalism Review wrote about it. And there was a story that made its way into the newspaper about you piercing your nipple, which you never did, that made it underneath <laughs> my byline two days after you were asking me for an explanation. Now, tell me the truth. Did you set me up for that? Because you couldn't have asked me that on Friday and have that happen on Sunday. No, I wish I could say that's a pretty good joke. But no, I did not set you up. <laughs> you remember that? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, it was. Yeah. One of those things where it's like, Sometimes those things come out. It's kind of hard to trust the press sometimes, Adam. <laughs> well, John, we can confirm today you did not get your nipple pierced. I did not get my nipple pierced. No. At that time. But I am honored, like I said, to have covered your whole thing, career. I appreciate you making the time today. Congratulations on all your success. And if you're ever in New York, open invitation to come play golf with me. That sounds good. We'll look forward to it. I'll get out there. They got great golf out there, too. So Please, please let me know. You got it, buddy. I appreciate it. It's great talking to you, Adam. Great seeing you. Thank you, John. I appreciate you. All right. Be well. We'll see you soon. Many thanks to my friend of 37 years, a man that I covered starring back in 1990, the great John Elway, Hall of Fame quarterback. He provided so many memorable moments for me personally, professionally. There are so many things I could think of. You know, I remember when I was leaving Denver, all these stories come back to me. And some of my friends held a going away party. And they held it at Rick Riley's house. And they had somebody like man the front door for security, like so that some people couldn't just come in. And so when John Elway showed up, we played around and we're like, what's your name? We need to see your ID. And they turned him away initially until they welcomed him back in and said That's that they were funny. just joking. <laughs> That's also true. We have a lot of great John Elway stories. So he was turned away at the going away party, but then was brought back into the fold. So I can only and, imagine how much things have changed too. Just in you covering him, Adam. Like yeah. nowadays, you do breaking news. You're on your phone. It's on Twitter. Back then, yeah. it wasn't like that anymore. I mean, when you started this, it was a totally different media landscape, even with him. But it was a big deal back then, and it used to drive him crazy because it became a story back in the day. And it's cliche, but it's true. What the Elways were giving out for Halloween, like that's how big he was in Denver, where yeah. everything that he did was a news event, and it was a harbinger of all the things that were to come in the times that we now live in today, mm. how different the coverage is because he was suffocating. You remember the Sports Illustrated headline? It was a big deal when it came out. John Elway said he was suffocating in Denver, suffocating. Can you imagine what it would be like to be an athlete today where almost every athlete feels suffocated if he's a big-time celebrity? Speaking of celebrities, we're coming off a week where Super Bowl is all about celebrities and who shows oh, up yeah. there. It was incredible. Now, again, as I mentioned to you at the start of this podcast, I'm in bed every night early, so I don't see that many celebrities. But I did go to a lunch on Friday where that was pretty cool. There were a number of celebrities at that lunch, including Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who was seated at my table. We wound, up, we wound up talking for about 15 minutes afterwards. And I got to tell you something. I had met him before, but what a grounded, humble, awesome guy. I love that guy. He couldn't be any more genuine, real, and nice. Huge Dwayne The Rock Johnson fan. He invited me to a wrestling event that he's having in Philadelphia yeah. in April. And I'm yep. thinking about going for that one. I will say, I, might, I may or may not go down there. to. Go Have you ever been that. to a wrestling event? No, I've never been. I'm thinking me about either. it. either. That's something that'll be fun. Well, we'll see about that. So we bumped into him. And then after the game, as I was trying to help my daughter, Dylan, round up interviews, we were trying to get Travis Kelsey and the 
white whale, Taylor Swift, which we yeah. were unable to get. Mm-hmm. But she did as we were walking there, as we were waiting for Travis Kelsey. He was hugging this guy. They broke up the hug. And the guy he was hugging, celebrate, big celebration, it's Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. No way. So, so Dylan grabbed Paul Rudd, who's from Kansas City and a huge Chiefs fan. He was with his son. And I know Paul. I've, I've actually spent a little bit of time with him. And um, we stopped him. I said, hey, Paul, I need you to just give my daughter about a minute for a interview for Nickelodeon for Slime Time. Oh, sure. So he talked to her. She took a picture of him. And because I've been told sometimes that Paul Rudd is my doppelganger. I could he, see it. He actually said to me the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, he yelled out to me, my doppelganger. He yelled it out. And there was a time when I was in a restaurant one time where we were out with a group of friends and the maitre d'. This was back when I was working for the NFL Network, sent over around the desserts. And I thought he watches NFL Network. And then he came over and he goes, I got to tell you, I loved you in Clueless. Stop. So that actually happened. <laughs> and, and, so, and so my daughter got done interviewing Paul Rudd. She goes, that freaked me out. I'm like, that you're talking to Ant-Man, a Hollywood legend, Hollywood star. She was right. Dad, he looked just like you. I was looking at his eyes. <laughs> I felt like I was looking at you. So that was a cool celebrity sighting That's for cool. Dylan, the yeah. Paul Rudd instance there. And that was kind of fun. The other thing that was fun about the week was, or not as fun, on Sunday, we're doing Sunday Countdown. And we had a segment where we we're going to be talking about the Cowboys and their defensive coordinator search. And I'm talking about how they're getting set to hire Mike Zimmer. But they loved Rex Ryan during their interview. I saw the Joneses down in um, Las Vegas, and they were like, Rex was unbelievable, inspiring, motivating. Jerry Jones was ready to run through a brick wall after listening to Rex. So I threw it back to the set. I'm like, Rex, you know, Zimmer got the job, but they they loved Rex. And I go back to you, Sam. And Sam goes, what do you think of that, Rex? And he says, not so fast. Well, as it turned out, right before that segment began, the Cowboys called him and asked him if he were still interested and wanted to hire him. Now, they couldn't come to an agreement on the terms or the money. And so the Cowboys went back to Mike Zimmer, who they eventually did reach an agreement with as their defensive coordinator. And I think maybe they were using Rex as leverage against Mike or Mike as leverage against Rex. Rex, But however it was, they loved Rex and wound up getting a deal done with Zimmer, even though that situation was alive as we were on set. Wow. On Sunday countdown on Sunday, which again is typical of the crazy kind of week that it was in Las Vegas. Ultimately, that led to the Chiefs winning the trophy, John Elway presenting him, and us bringing together this entire podcast today. Adam, the news never stops. Right up until the moment of the Super Bowl, you're still breaking news on what's going around in the NFL. That's how it you know works. What? And people say, oh, now you get to go home and take a break, right? Well, actually, yeah, right. we're leaving for the combine in two freaking weeks. <laughs> That's the right. Combine's in two weeks. And I'm like, can we just go to sleep for 24 hours before all the madness begins? All right. That's a story for another day. We want to thank the great John Elway for taking some time out of his schedule to join us today. What a week. Presenting the Chiefs the trophy and then getting to come on this podcast, Daniel. How about That's that? That's right. We want to thank you, Daniel Dopp, for quarterbacking another Hall of Fame-worthy six-pack performance from you. Great job. Great job from Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, and thank you to the audience for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we're scheduled to be joined by the great running back of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Rashad White. Until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. 
making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. 